0: Welcome to this Centrum podcast. For more podcasts, or to join Centrum programs building creativity in community, visit us at centrum.org.
1: I'm Michelle Haquid, and this is On Air. A podcast focusing on conversations with artists and creatives from Centrum's residency community. I am broadcasting to you from the lands and waters of the Coast Salish people in a place known as Katai to the Sklalom people and today known as Port Towns in Washington. This podcast is focused on bringing artists together in community to explore the ways that place, process, and the personal intersect we dive into the many ways that artists are responding to the current times affecting change and finding sustenance during health climate and social crisis join us and take an hour to be in residence and unpack your own relationships to creativity time and place thank you for being here and enjoy this episode hi again And welcome to our final installment of the Queer Ecology series that is um, a project by Cleo Wolfley Erskine and July Hazard as part of their Centrum Residency, um, part of the Northwest Heritage Residency Series, which was a series of residencies in 2019 and 2020 funded by the National Endowment for the Arts as part of their Our Town grant programs. And this series, if you've listened to the previous episodes, you, I think, will probably know how much they've meant to me personally. And by now, if you've listened to all of them, you've gotten to know... Um, a lot about Clio and July's work, and it's been an absolute pleasure to meet several other people who are involved in these questions and these important movements within the field of ecology and sciences and art that are working to really bring recognition to queer identities and perspectives, as well as sort of speaking up for their relations and kinship to the more-than-human. And in this episode, we get to meet Jasmine Harvey, who lives on the Klamath River in Karuk land in Northern California, and she currently works for the Karuk Tribe Development of Natural Resources and in her spare time enjoys foraging wild mushrooms, gardening, and swimming in the rivers, lakes, and creeks of the region. And you'll get to hear more about her relationship to all of these facets as Cleo and Jasmine sit down and talk about various experiences and explore a series of questions around things like What is a straight fire ecology, if there is one? And what are some of the counter movements within that history? Talking about tribal knowledge and appropriation as it relates to both fire management and fishery sciences from both Cleo and Jasmine's perspectives. um, The significance of swimming holes and concepts of eco-sexuality and just sort of asking and talking about ways we could study ecology as wild beings and make this work reflect the environment that it is and sort of embrace you know emotional response and connections to the beings and lands and waters that um sustain us and uh So as I've been recommending with this whole series, I personally like to listen to these on walks or in a place where I can really um, reflect directly on what's around me. And if you're in a position to do that, great. If not, you will, I hope, get to be transported um, to the setting where Cleo and Jasmine sit down. And without further ado, here you go.
2: So my name is Jasmine Harvey. Um pronoun she her. Um and yeah, I live up on the Klamath River and um have two wonderful kids and dogs and cats and gardens and ducks and love to spend time in the woods and spend time with this community. So
3: cool. Well um Here we are, Blue Hole, (laughs) and I wondered if you could just start by, yeah, like orienting us to where we are and um, what this place means to you.
2: Yeah, so we're kind of at one of the first swimming holes that you get onto when you turn onto the Salmon River. Obviously, this is uh, Karuk land that we're on, um, and uh, this is part of a larger network of various villages that went up the mid-Klamath and early beginning parts of the Salmon River. and So just starting with that, and you see that, just by looking around you you see all the remnants of Karuk management, you know, and and not just remnants as though a past thing, but a present thing too. You know, the the willows growing up along the river bar and um you know, the oak trees right up the hill and, you know, obviously the encroachment of firs, which is uh, you know, the western systems uh <laughs> introduction the um not that fir trees are an introduction but anyway before i get lost in all that (laughs) um but yeah yeah there's too many of them (laughs) yeah so couldn't go on for that too long but yeah it's a beautiful spot it's a it's a very common place for local families to gather and swim during the summer and um it's especially uh a sought after spot, so uh, so yeah, it's a good good place to be.
3: Yeah, it's really nice. I remember swimming here a few months ago and a few hours ago. I was like hot enough to almost <laughs> jump in Camp Creek, but yeah. No, it's not. Um, so I first met you or heard about you because of the um, story map that you did, and. I wonder if you could just talk about that a little bit as a a project that you've worked on.
2: Yeah, um, part of my job is development of outreach materials that help tell the story of what the Cutter Tribe Department of Natural Resources is trying to accomplish. And one of those things that I focused this story map on was the Soames Bar integrated fire management plan. And so this was actually based off of a really cool document written by Alex Watts-Tobin and Bill Tripp, which um, laid the groundwork for how Soames Bar Integrated Fire Management Project, which is one of the project areas of the Western Klamath Restoration Partnership, this document basically laid the like groundwork for how it will be measured as a success from a cultural standpoint. And so... In the in the document it talks about the ecological indicators and it puts them in the context of their cultural story um, which the focus of this one was the story of uh, coyote stealing fire and so within that um, I really recommend you check it out it's a public document you can read it on the Karuk U.S. dot U.S. website, yeah, but it's a very it cool too. document that links together the different ecological indicators that are used as measurements for success of restoration work to the um, to the cultural origin story of Coyote stealing fire, and um, and then how that brings us into our present moment for management and. Um, and not even necessarily management, but survival and adaptation of people in that specific region, and so that's kind of what i tried <laughs> I tried to capture in the story map, and um, people people liked it so <laughs> so that worked out so um, yeah, and again, if you want to check either that story map out or the um, the original document of which it's based on, you can see those and other resources at the Trads website so.
3: And what are you working on right now?
2: Oh, I'm working on a number of different things. My job is kind of nebulous and (laughs) reaches into a bunch of different areas. But um, I'm working on more story maps as well. Um, Just finished one about the Red Salmon Complex, which Mm. um, we kind of focus on the issue with uh, fire response.
3: Can you tell people who aren't from around here what the Red Salmon Complex is?
2: Yeah, so the Red Salmon Complex was a fire that started earlier this summer up in the Red Salmon, uh, or the Red Cap Drainage. Um, and uh, it it was two fires that merged together to form a complex, the Red Cap Fire or the Salmon Fire. And then it kind of became one of the larger... Uh, it became, up until the Slater Fire, the largest like local fire... Mm-hmm. And so all summer we've been dealing with the um, militaristic response of fire suppression agencies, you know, coming down onto the area and doing what they do year after year and, you know, kind of similar problems to how it has played out. Um, there's, There's been... Um, there's been some very good fire effects from this fire. There's been some that maybe weren't so great. Um, there was some uh, moments of fear when, you know, certain, like weather patterns made it feel like it was going to make a run towards mm. communities in the Salmon River and such. But um, all in all, the, the point of the story map that I was trying to get across was that we were trying to get across at DNR was that um, oftentimes... Because of the sheer amount of resources that are put into suppression activities the proactive approach um, which comes from tribal entities gets ignored and we wind up back in the same problem over and over again and um, there's a basically call to ask for change there that's like with tribal sovereignty, with Karuk, like, return of Karuk land into Karuk ownership and management, uh, these fires would be managed um, instead of heavily suppressed. And, and cultural sites, spiritual sites would be protected. And then, not only that, but tribal members could also reap the benefits of the areas in which the good effects of fire Um, improved hunting grounds or gathering sites and so um, we need a lot of systemic change to like ensure that there's enough funding and legal standing for tribal members to to have an equal seat at the table Mm -hmm. during these kinds of complexes and currently we just don't have that so so hopefully you know with messaging like what this is along with a bunch of the other work that's being done by different people there will be that change so crazy
3: like yeah just all how much resources go on to like just I mean just following on Facebook that fire and Slate of Fires like wow what could that those like resources have done yeah so I guess one of the questions that I'm interested in is like So the work that you're doing relates to ecology in some ways. I mean, it's about the world and it's about (laughs) ecocultural restoration. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think ecology means so it's used in so many different ways. Like some people, it just means like a network or it just means the earth. And then I think around here, people use it in the specific way that always has culture within it. And so I wonder yeah, how, how you think about, um, ecology in relation to, 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 the work that you do on, on fire and cultural fire.
2: Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. So for up until fairly recently, I'd always been doing field work and, you know, and kind of, odds and ends different jobs different types of surveying jobs and different like implementation jobs and such and now, um, so much of my work is sitting behind a computer screen. <laughs> and so, it's, it's sometimes it's pretty hard to feel like it's actually ecology when I'm staring at a screen for eight hours a day. I have really like, yeah. Is this, <laughs> like, is what, this ecology? <laughs> How did this
0: happen to me? <laughs>
2: but, in a sense, you're connecting to the human ecology, which, um, you know, the trying to influence the the thought ecology which very heavily shapes our our plant and animal and fungal ecologies so so I have to remind myself that it's all ecology ultimately, right? But <laughs> mm-hmm. even if it's a computer <laughs> screen connected to the internet and like answering emails, that's the human ecology element. Right, for it the influences moment. so yeah. much, right? yeah. The natural system
3: right? very,
2: very yeah. much so. Um <laughs> And, uh, it sure would be nice to change that, but, uh, (laughs) that's where we're at in this present day and age. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to the day when my ecology work is back out and, you know, mostly with, uh, like learning new plants and mushrooms Mm -hmm. and, and what to do with them. That's fun. But in the meantime, until we get that better world, we're, we're working with the human ecology and, uh the mind ecology of people who are, you know, still still trying to win over the hearts and minds of people to, to join up for um, these kinds of restoration and, you know, get support for things that are kind of controversial like fire and tribal sovereignty and such that seem, like, more political but are actually very, very ecological. Yeah. Um, so...
3: Yeah, so I guess in my the ecology that I do that's more in the fishery side of it, I started to think a lot about how um, the Western science ecology is just, al- at least in salmon science, is like almost totally just directly appropriating different tribal knowledge of salmon. And um, I got really, obsessed about this for a while and started reading all the early records of the um, like the McLeod River hatchery where they kind of developed all this um, the first like fish hatcheries there and the early letters from Livingston Stone who's the U.S. fisheries guy was like oh, yeah, we came up here and we didn't even know what kind of salmon there were, where they spawned, or what their life history was, and we found these women people, and they told us everything about them, and then we named it, and now, you know, this is, like, salmon science, right? And so I've been thinking a lot about that in terms of fishery science and just, like... And then also, yeah, like, just the fish hatcheries, you know, how they were in the early days. It was, like, let's take these McLeod rainbow trout and plant them all over the world so that, like, sportsmen can go be, like you know, virile masculine hunters, like, out, or fishers out in these streams, and, like, yeah, just all these ways that, like, settler sexualities was, like, bound up in, um, the fish hatchery enterprise, as it was, and it was, and, and just this idea that you could just take these fish out of their context, and, like, put them on selling ships, and send them to New Zealand, was, like, I don't know, to me, it, it, it was one of the, Origin points for me of thinking about, like, yeah, the kind of heteronormativity and kind of like propping up of traditional gender roles, like, through this certain kind of fishing, right? That was like, mm-hmm. so in such contrast to um, the women fishing that was happening at that uh, hatchery. They have all these pictures of just everyone catching fish together, and, you know, people had their different roles, but whole families were down there doing it. And so, so anyway, that was like one one thing that kind of made me think about that in terms of fishery science, both a, like appropriation and also like this crazy stuff that people do with it. So I was wondering if you had any thoughts about that in terms of um, fire science and just you know like is there like
2: a straight fire ecology and oh, <laughs> so very what is that. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just looking at the way, like, I've I've done, you know, prescribed fires. I've done, I've responded as a as a local fire department member on like, and you know, when I worked on the ambulance, I did I did some of the larger encampments that were around here, and the, the level of patriarchy in, ingrained within the the larger fire um, response suppression agencies is just, it's just mind-blowing sometimes what what flies and what's okay, you know? And, uh, you know, I've heard some of the most vulgar things, just like, just like, pass off as normal, like, fire culture where, you know, it's in like, and there's a lot of badass like women and femmes who are in there changing things and non-binary you know like there's i mean you know in in any situation you know the there's there's alternatives to it but uh you know that's one of the things i love about um uroc tracks is it's led by two women and so like so you get so you get a whole different kind of uh, a spin on the, the way you know and i notice it the way the men behaved because i did i've done treks up here i've done treks down there i've done and treks if you don't understand it's a training exchange that happens every year that uh does that trains participants with using actual live fire in landscape um situations and so I've done I've done that kind of I've seen that kind of difference like hands-on and oh boy it it makes a big it makes a big deal um like what
3: specifically is different like what yeah, like,
2: what specifically is yeah. different? You know, like I, mean, I
3: can imagine, but it's hard to pin it, it to any one
2: thing. But you just get a t- you just get this feeling that that patriarchy just doesn't have as much ground to stand on in this in this situation, and and in all other situations, you just feel it. Like you can't even always name it. You can't even always put words to it. But it sure does like. Way on your shoulders and make you feel just tired at the end of it all. And you're like, good God, like, where do you even start with, with these men? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. I mean, you know, but more no, than I, just I men hold up the patriarchy. Totally, but.
3: <laughs> no. But I mean, I, I have, yeah, I've had that feeling in like, you know, geology field camps and on some
2: fishery stuff too. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I mean, uh, just. Yeah, just seeing that in the way like it does—it's it, not just like gender roles, but it's also you know, uh, uh, heterosexual is a uh, heterosexuality and stuff is like this kind of yeah, like there's such a like masculinity to it of like, um, and it it, it just kind of strikes me as funny how um, how like a lot of these men you know really really in fire suppression but like love their like phallic representations of things like chainsaws and and and, and, and like the tools and stuff like that and I, and i don't even think they like notice it half the time but like the like level of like excitement and admiration over like people with bigger saws and <laughs> you know and and like the you know the ones who have the the men who have the more stamina to swing the tool harder and it's just like I just, like, I just find it funny sometimes that, like, a lot of, like, they don't, maybe they don't think of it in any kind of way like that, but I can't help but see that and be like, Yeah, there's something else going on here, like, you know, and I guess, yeah, if men aren't allowed to bond with each other in any sort of, um, healthy way under the patriarchy, they'll do it in that kind of weird, weird semi-competitive, but also semi-sexual way that... That like makes me laugh to myself, and you know I could never put it in words to them without them likely getting mad. But it's there. Um, <laughs> but yeah,
3: have you ever gotten to be on a crew that was like women and femmes and non-binary folks?
2: No, they've done a they've done a women's treks. Um, I don't know if they did one. I thought they were gonna maybe at some point but um um yeah little secret about me I used to be a man (laughs) (laughs) so at the time I wasn't gonna be in that one if they did it but uh yeah um but uh yeah no it would be cool I would love to experience that you know just take that take that element out and I'm sure it would be um sure it would be a very very different tone um yeah
3: yeah it's something that i think about a lot like in you know the work that i do and like training people to be scientists and like what if our yeah what if you didn't have to spend all that energy just dealing with the patriarchy you could just do the work and it would be so much better and then also yeah like what like what would like a queer fire ecology be like? Would it have different like ways of burning? Like, would it have different um, just different ways of being together in the field? Like, what would it what, like? And I mean, I don't know that you necessarily know the answer, but I like but it's. But I'm really interested in that.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, lesson. I know two different like. Um, there's a there's a land project down in um near willow creek that you probably know fancy land Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah yeah um that does that they they try and do like little um forestry workshops with queer folks and then there's the the fairy sanctuary that is in southern Oregon that tries to do their, mm-hmm. you know, queer forestry. And every year I get invited out to both, and every year I fail to show <laughs> up. <laughs> but, uh, but um, yeah, I do think it would be something interesting to participate in, for sure. Um, um, I think it would be, I think a lot of the, the things that are, like, kind of missed by the, that kind of goes over the heads of a lot of the, like, typical like fire management um, just like the symbolism of certain things and like I think would be very very like acutely understood and like the queers would be pretty aware of like the the symbolic nature of these certain things at least the queers that I know who are trying to do this stuff are like pretty you know they
3: would have a good time with that yeah yeah for sure (laughs) they would make it very fun
2: (laughs) yeah yeah
3: yeah, we got to we got to cut down a couple of trees at, at Fancyland, and it was pretty fun. It was pretty different. Mm-hmm. I think just, like, not having that, like, I don't know, yeah, competitiveness around holding a chainsaw, you know? Mm-hmm. Just, like, I don't know. Yeah. I wanted to ask a different question, which is about swimming holes, because I feel like swimming holes were, for me, were this very... Like important space of like queer, like I don't know sociality. It's just being together, um, and I and but I haven't gotten to talk to that many people about that. And I was like, is that just me or is that like what what like what is it? And I mean, I think you know that in cities, like there's all these queer beaches, and that's like one kind of thing. But then swimming holes are kind of a different kind of thing. So I wonder if you had any thoughts about swimming holes and or just how what like how you how, how you how you see them and the and the river and all that
2: yeah well i do i have to admit anytime i got a queer friend coming from out of the area especially when i'm trying to impress uh we go to a swimming hole <laughs> so, um, they're so impressive I mean. yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah i mean there's just it is a very like I think swimming is an extremely sensual experience and it kind of it kind of touches into like a like a relation to um to water and being submerged in water that um you know and then just like same with other forms of ecology that like I notice I feel maybe maybe straight folks feel this too but just don't admit it but i do feel like queer people are more ready to talk about things this like concept of like ecosexuality mm-hmm. of like of like um like relating to things in a, in in a sexual way instead of like this romantic way like straight people are way comfortable doing where everything's like romantic and you you know you wax poetic about these sites and stuff like that when i get with queers it's more like raw and sexual it's more like it's like ooh, the water just like is like groping me in such a good <laughs> yeah. way or like i remember one time i was hiking with a friend and we were kind of looking at this madrone tree and just like it's kind of sexy yeah. tree and then he was like yeah it is and i was like so it's like there's this kind of like and I don't know, like I said, maybe just straight people are afraid to talk about it in that kind of way. But, you know, they feel pretty comfortable talking romantically about stuff like this. So I guess I feel that way about um, about the river when, you know, when I'm in it. It just feels, you know, it feels more than like, just, oh, this is nice to swim. It's like, oh, I can't really talk about this too much with, <laughs> with straight folks without getting weird looks. But, uh... But, uh yeah, when I um, when I bring out queer friends, they they know what I'm talking about. They they they're talking about it too. <laughs> yeah, so. I feel
3: like yeah, I feel like there's this way that you know people just yeah can I don't know like be embodied in this way and just have this yeah feeling of I don't know just at least for me at least it's like oh yeah I can just be in the water and. Have this, I don't know, yeah, this very sensuous touch like all over your body. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. um Swimming holes are really good. I remember last time I was here, there's these kids climb way up there, with jumping from
2: so high. Yeah. Just like, wow. It's kind of scary. I you know people have gotten injured it. on that jump.
3: Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I could maybe go from the. Oh yeah, I'm really interested if there are like books or films or art or other performance stuff that you have done or seen or read uh, that you think like should be part of the conversation. You want to do an interview too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My yeah. dog's like, interview me. Yay. <laughs> hey, you want to talk about the river? You're wet. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you're sweet. Um, yeah, so what are some of the, like, these sources that you think, like, if we're trying to figure out what queer ecology is or could be that, like, should be part of that conversation? Mm.
2: It's a tough one because I didn't, you know, I'm not sure I know all that many. Um, and so I've always kind of... uh always kind of been separate things you know for me unfortunately i've always kind of had to choose between uh whether i was going to focus on my queerness or whether i was going to focus on ecology but uh you know i do see a lot of inner inner you know whatever venn diagram center Mm -hmm. of the venn diagram between the two but uh you know it's it's not it's not often that i've gotten the chance to like reflect on where they intersect and i guess i've probably done it without thinking about it but um But, um, yeah, hmm, I'd have to think about that one.
3: What do you think it would be like for you if you could bring those things, like, together more? How would that?
2: Um, I think it would be done in a very, like, performance-based way. Mm -hmm. I think there would be, like, I think there would be, like, conversations had without conversations and through like performance mm-hmm. I feel like that's a very special thing about queer people that I mean there's there's plenty of wonderful straight performers but like there's a special brand of queer performance that, um, that I feel like brought into um, ecology brought into one like not just like public education and outreach and um, you know posing questions of scientific and cultural scrutiny and um you know can be done in such a special way through queer performance um and that is something i think about a lot um i think a lot about i think a lot about like drag routines that i would do that i would try and do for like different audiences to like pose different questions that make them reflect on ecology in different ways you know um whether that's like the audience being like like just generally disconnected urban community or urban communities that are disconnected from like plant ecologies and you know and like forest ecologies to like forest communities that are disconnected from urban ecologies and such to like to like well what what kind of unique like unique like queer performances could be done to like to like, one, entertain, but then kind of hit them with a little bit of, what? wait, <laughs> you know, like, I hadn't thought about, what are you making, what are you saying here, <laughs> you yeah, know, like, kind of thing. Love to see that. Yeah, <laughs> I would love to see Yeah. what you with that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it'd be, uh, that's kind of what I would like to, you know, because, yeah, that's that's one of the things that I enjoy most about getting together with other queers when when I do do it, um, is is the the way we perform for each other, you know, whether we're aware of it or not. Obviously, like some people are very aware of their performance, and, yes. you know, and they're like professionals, and that's what they do in this world. And I love those people. And, yes. But even if they don't realize that's what they're doing, they're doing it, you know. So. Yes. So that's kind of what I would see a lot of a lot more performance, a lot more, um, you know, really putting it on thick and.
3: Yeah. yeah, and I think that the, like, you know, environmental management world needs that so much, you know? Oh, <laughs> like, God, you go break to conference up the rigidity and it's of it, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, go to these, like, you know, policy meetings. And we did this thing one time where, um, like, though I've really only done one queer performance about ecology, but it turned into this, like, multi-year project with all these spin-offs. But we had this, like, play about salmon migration, and then there was this um, like the army chorus of engineers and then we went to this like this salmon science conference and basically made all the scientists like stand up and sing these songs together (laughs) about the army chorus of engineers you know talking about how they want to dam all the rivers and and it was so powerful, like, you know, like they, we were wearing weird outfits and like scientist dragons, so they like sang songs with us and it was, and you know, I think they had a good time and I don't know what they, you know, took away from it, but it felt like it was this important, yeah, just kind of knocking people out of their routine of
2: what they normally do. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's really hard to make something as unique and as fascinating and as beautiful and complex as ecology into something very boring and rigid and and straight. and But, um, But people can do it for whatever reason they choose to do it. And it's like, well, you know, why don't we model after the things that we're studying and, like, study them in the way that they, you know, are. Like, can't we study ecology as the wild creatures that we really are or do we have to study it as, like, like, objective humans identifying data? I mean, we have to do that sometimes, for sure. Like, that, that's got its place. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not, like, trash-talking like, hard data and, and you know, research. I love that stuff, too. But, uh, but uh, we could definitely make it exciting. Yeah! <laughs> we could definitely, we have... like, make it fun.
3: I know. Do we have to, like, shut down our emotions about our yeah. feelings of Care or just, yeah, appreciation for like flowers are super sexy. And, yeah. You know, animals are super cool.
2: Yeah, it's like when I, I a lot, I often like take people mushroom hunting and, mm. you know, and like I just don't, you know, I just can't really like explain to them sometimes that like we are marveling at this organism's sex, basically. Yes. Like mushrooms are <laughs> literally like the sexual organs that we're like we're playing with here Uh (laughs) like it's a very it's a very like 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 strange and queer experience but uh you know a lot of people are just like oh we're getting mushrooms to eat and i'm like yeah but it's so much more (laughs) fun and exciting than that you know it's like (laughs) yeah
3: yeah no and i feel like if you like kind of embrace that like i don't know like slimy, like, sexual part of it, then it becomes this whole other kind of interaction. Yeah. Um, I think that was most of the questions I have. Do you have any other thoughts or ideas that you wanted to share?
2: No, I'm really excited to see kind of what this project unfolds into. I'm excited to learn more about, from other queer people about how they, like, How they engage with ecology and how they engage with um, these different understandings. um, I'm excited to see what comes out of this. Um, I know it'll be interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it's so exciting
3: (laughs) to get to know some of your ideas a little bit more. And I, yeah, I don't know. I hope this is like all I really have the capacity for right now. But I was like, I want, I want it to be something like. You know, more, at least a network of people Mm -hmm. who could do stuff together, go to each other's performances. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you.
1: Wasn't that good? Uh, Thank you for listening to these with us and. A huge thanks to Cleo in July, and Jasmine, and everyone who participated in this series. And um, I know that this isn't the last time I will benefit from the work of Cleo in July and all these great people, and my world feels wider and deeper, and I hope yours does too. And stay tuned We will be continuing to interview and sit down with artists and uh, creatives who intersect with Centrum residencies. And I hope you will stick around and maybe come to a residency with us one day. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to this Centrum podcast. The creator and host of On Air is Michelle Hagwood, program manager for artist residencies. Our cover artwork is by Leon Finley, and our music is by Tabor Dark. Centrum's executive director is Robert Berman. Centrum podcasts are produced by Taven Dotson, Owen Rowe, and Holly Miller. Our executive producer is Joe Gillard. With gratitude and respect, we acknowledge that we broadcast from the traditional lands of the Coast Salish peoples, from the place known by the Sklalem people as Katai, and today called Port Townsend, Washington. Centrum programs are based at Fort Warden State Park in Port Townsend. Centrum was founded in 1973 to foster creative arts experiences that change lives and is dedicated to building a world of greater inclusion through the arts. Other Centrum podcasts include music from the Centrum Archives, interviews with teaching artists, and readings from the Port Townsend Writers Conference. To subscribe to any of our podcasts or to support or participate in Centrum programs, visit our website at centrum.org. Thank you for listening. This podcast is copyright 2020 Centrum Foundation.